trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like LifesavingFood.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, also HSLAmmo.com and MonticelloCollege.org. Every week we get a reality supplement from my supplement from my friend Eric Peters from EPAutos.com. Eric, great to catch up with you. Every time I think it can't get more interesting, it does. What's up with that? Doesn't it? Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to hide out and, and avoid the Putin variant. How about you? Yes. Well, I, I saw I saw a meme today that uh, that I, I thought might even be fun to discuss, and it was a picture of all the um, what is it the the G eight or G seven, basically all of the leaders of the U S. and and Europe, and it said, "Hey, I'm not rooting for Putin, but I am rooting against all of these folks." Yeah, exactly. You know, it's become axiomatic that anything that CNN at all are for, you can uh, pretty safely assume you should be against. Um, now, I had a dark thought this morning, too, as I was looking over all of the latest news reports about what's going on over there. And I thought to myself, you know, in addition to providing yet another distraction for the ruling class to gin up fresh hysteria now that the hysteria about the Rona is waning, what if the agenda or the plan here is uh, to uh, take a preemptive shot at a possible 2024 run by the orange man and even more broadly uh, to frame anybody who doesn't support the left woke Biden agenda as being in Putin's pocket and implicitly treasonous, you know, and then what are they going to do? They are going to seize our bank account <laughs> and lock us up because, you know, we're not, we're not following that particular narrative given what's been going on, not only in, in this country, but even more ominously in Canada, I could see something like that happening. Things have gotten to be that crazy. What do you think? No, I think it's a legit concern. And, and of course, you know, it's, it's such a binary way of thinking. Um, I, I've already been taken to task, and, and probably you have as well. If you are not totally on board and you're not dumping vodka down the sink and showing blue and yellow in solidarity right. with Ukraine, well, then you must be, you know, being paid by Putin. You remember there's a, of all the, you know, there's so many brilliant, uh, visual images that are conjured by Orwell's 1984. And one of the ones that's often stuck in my mind is that of uh, the lead character, Winston Smith, being uh, at a rally where a party orator is shrieking about the dangers of East Asia. And then he's handed a piece of paper and without breaking stride, uh, starts ranting about Eurasia. And the crowd immediately sort of collectively murmurs and understands that uh, Oceania has always been at war with Eurasia and has never been at war with East Asia, which is now an ally. And that's the kind of conditioning and programming that we're seeing, um, we're seeing, pro, you know, propagate all around us today. You know, it's 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 quite quite startling. Oh yeah, I I hate war hysteria, and this goes back to the run up to the uh, last Iraq war, as well as uh, various other yeah. actions, you know, that took place following nine eleven. But that's the first time, Eric, I really woke up to the idea that yes. Even conservatives can be susceptible to the sound of those war drums and start operating on pure emotion rather than reason. They're more susceptible, aren't they? Um, you know, and this also brings to mind the quote of Herman Goering, you know, who was the, uh, the Reich's Marshal of the Third Reich uh, after he was captured after the war. And I can't remember verbatim what the, co- what the quote was. And he said something along the lines of, 
you know, it's easy to get the, the people to do the bidding of the leadership by uh, telling them that the nation is at war and impugning anybody who criticizes it for lack of patriotism. You know, that it's, it's the oldest trick in the book. And it may be the new trick that they're about to deploy, and it may be an even more effective trick than this whole Rona business because at least people who criticize the face diaper and the jabs weren't accused of being unpatriotic and treasonous. True. And, and frankly, it looks like the chickens are coming home to roost on a lot of that, uh, that COVID mischief. Um, I, I yep. can't help but wonder if the timing here isn't just really fortuitous for those people who likewise could be facing not just civil but perhaps criminal penalties for the crimes they've inflicted on people all over the world. Yeah, I have difficulty believing in, or maybe I should say, I'm always suspicious of convenient political coincidences. You know, and this is an example of that. Uh, We have uh, the bluest of blue states rescinding a lot of their face diaper mandates. I think the most recent being Oregon and California rescinded the diaper mandates for kids in school. Uh, New York, uh, you know, places that had been absolutely firmly 100 proof sickness psychosis. Uh, are now dialing all that back. And, of course, they're dialing that back because it's becoming massively unpopular and untenable politically, and particularly with the midterm elections, what, seven months away from now, six months away from now. So they sense political disaster, and they're having to do that. But that that creates a problem because now people are going to relax and begin to question and say to themselves, well, wait a minute, why did you put us through all this for the last you know two-plus years now? I think maybe somebody needs to be held accountable for that. And that's when you suddenly realize, well, you know, maybe they need a war to distract everybody from all of this stuff. And this particular war is one that's incredibly dangerous because you're talking about Russia, the former Soviet Union, or at least big chunks of it, that has nuclear weapons. You know, and this sort of thing could very easily get out of hand. I read a news report this morning. I think it's the EU is trying to get the U.S. or NATO to commit to establishing a no-fly zone over Ukraine. You can imagine how well that could work out. Oh, yeah. Well, and and you have European Union member states now um, very openly providing weapons and money to Ukraine. And, yeah, the the catch being if, if one of those NATO allies gets drawn into this conflict, then they all get drawn into it. Sure. And, and, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something here that's going to get me put on, on yet another watch list and probably have me locked up <laughs> for being a, a, pre, a treasonous supporter of Vladimir Putin. But people in this country are historically amnesiac. Yes. You know, back in 1962, uh, the Soviet Union attempted to put missiles right on America's doorstep in, in Cuba. And that was considered completely unacceptable. And there was almost a war over that until saner heads, you know, Kennedy and Khrushchev were uh, not, not psychopathic maniacs, and even Khrushchev. And they decided, you know, it's not worth burning down the whole world over this. And so they, they came to an understanding and dialed back. Well, here we are uh, asserting that NATO, it's a military uh, alliance, uh, it's okay for Ukraine, which is right on the border of Russia, to join a, a Western military alliance. And, and implicit in that is that Western troops and missiles could be put right on Russia's doorstep. And naturally, Putin objects to that. And the only thing that he has demanded, as far as I can tell, is some kind of commitment to neutrality that Ukraine not uh, not get involved with NATO. And on that basis, there would be, be negotiations. Somehow that's considered outrageous and terrible. And I had great difficulty understanding why. And I find myself in a weird position of defending Putin against the administration of the United States. Ah, so you are a traitor. And, and on his right, payroll. there you go. Right. That makes me a Putin smuggler, I guess. You know, Eric. And, you know, and I may be wrong. I may be wrong about this, but I, I'm pretty sure that uh, there, there were some conditions attached 
to Ukraine departing from the Soviet Union. And one of them was that it would not join NATO. And there were assurances given, I think, by Clint Higula, uh yes. back in the day, back yes. at the time. <laughs> That that uh, you know, no, we will not. Uh, we will not encourage or accept uh, the Ukraine if Ukraine decides it wants to become part of NATO, because we recognize that that's something that Russia probably can't tolerate. And now, of course, that's just been chucked into the woods too. I'd like to get your reaction, Eric, to the the depth of propaganda that we're seeing right now. I know you are a very suspicious observer of what goes on. You you have paid close attention, and, and I think you're probably better than many at, at recognizing propaganda. Have you ever seen anything like what we have experienced over the last three to four days? No, I have not, and I see an upside to it because it's so shrill and hysterically and obviously one-sided. Uh, I think it's just accelerating this general migration away from the quote unquote mainstream media, which nobody trusts, you know, whether you're on the left or the right, uh, practically nobody trusts what these people have to say and with good reason. They're so obviously partisan. Anybody who wants to get any kind of straight dope about what's actually going on, get factual information and form an opinion based on the facts is looking elsewhere. The whole thing is sliding into disrepute. And this is positive. Just as one of the few silver linings of the dark cloud of the past two years with regard to the Rona mania uh, is that the entire medical apparatus has now come into disrepute. And people are suspicious of it and mistrustful of it. And I think that's positive. Okay. I'm glad you're seeing the silver lining. I'm looking, and I, it's there, but it's, I'm having a hard time seeing it just out of, out of the sheer yeah. uh, overwhelming falsehood. And it's, it's coming from all sides. It's not yeah. just, you know, Russia. Yeah. It's not just Ukraine. It's coming from every side. Every side. Well, every side, except for those non-mainstream sites where you will find some thoughtful uh, analysis and uh, considered opinion about what's going on. Of course, that's more nuanced and people don't like that. As you say, use the word binary. Uh, The typical homo Americanus wants that binary left-right kind of thing where, you know, there's, there's, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. It's, you know, America, yay, we're right. They're wrong. Anybody who questions us is, is with the evildoers. Sure, sure. Hold that thought, Eric. We're going to have to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to to touch on a couple of other current events. I also want to pick your brain about uh, some things of automotive importance. Uh, Oh, sure. I think I know where we're going. (laughs) Yes, in in particular, I'd I'd like to to have you help help my audience recognize when the uh, local constabulary is out and about amongst us in traffic. All right. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. There is a link to his website in the show notes, which you'll find at thebrianheidshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back. Just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. And uh, Eric, uh, there, there are a couple other current events uh, that I wanted to touch on. I wanted to, to go circle back to the, the COVID uh, revelations. Mm-hmm. Some of the things, I mean, look, the, the narrative has been pushed so hard for so long. And I know you have, have been very steadfast in pushing back against it. And I have to ask, are you feeling any sense of vindication as slowly Absolutely. but surely these things are dropping, the, the mandates and, and everything's being walked back? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, objective reality has a force all of its own. You know, they can suppress that and truth uh, for a long time. 
but eventually it has a way of poking through the falsehood. It's difficult to maintain a lie forever. And uh, that's what's happening here. It is, it is what is happening and has happened in the past. And that's why I've always been um, optimistic and confident, even in the darkest periods, that eventually, who knows how long, but eventually we would get through this if we just hung tight. And I'm ecstatically grateful that in this country, at least, a very large percentage of the population did resist, you know, didn't diaper, and more importantly, didn't get the jab. And I think that was the pivot point. That was the critical thing. If they had succeeded in getting 90% of the population jabbed, it would be very, very difficult to get the truth out because there wouldn't have been a control group anymore. It would have been much harder to suss out whether people were being injured by the vaccines, for example, uh, and also whether natural immunity worked and whether people who were in good health who chose, you know what, I'm just going to rely on my body to protect me from this because it seems like the reasonable thing to do. Well, they've been vindicated. And, uh, you know, thank God for that. And it's just each day that goes by, I think more and more truth is coming out. And that's good, but it's also dangerous per our earlier discussion that because this whole thing is unwinding, the people who brought it to us are really panicking, I think. And they are desperately trying to figure out some way to gin up a new distraction to prevent themselves from being held accountable. Well, and like you said, <clears throat> also to uh, to marginalize and isolate those who would hold them to account for what they did. What better yep. way than accusing them of being, you know, traitors and, and uh, you know, acolytes of Vladimir Putin? Yeah, it's the same because, you know, it's the same cohort, isn't it? It's the critical thinkers, the ones who don't respond emotionally and reflexively to this hysterical fear propaganda and who step back and say, well, wait a minute, I want to have some more facts. I want to understand this more completely and fully before I come to some kind of a conclusion about it. Uh, it's exactly the same kinds of people who question the, the diapers and who question the jab, uh, who are questioning what's going on now with regard to Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, you know, what was it? Uh, George Carlin, the great comedian, said what they don't want are critical thinkers. What they want uh, are obedient workers. That's that's the you know, that's the dividing line that we're dealing with now. Okay, I'm going to shift gears now. I want to talk about uh, something that I know is on people's minds when they're driving, and that is, you know, am I going to get pulled over and get a ticket? And you had a recent yeah. article about swine sussing <laughs> I thought was actually very, very useful. Um, let's talk about, uh, besides, obey the traffic laws. Talk, yeah. to, talk to me about some helpful strategies for a person to avoid the long arm of the law. Well, sure, but let's preface it with something. Uh, you know, I don't want to get uh, uh, framed as being uh, anti-police because I'm not. I just wish that police would go back to proper policing, meaning going after people who actually hurt other people, you know, people who steal, people who attack other people, those kinds of people. Uh, instead, we've got a lot of cops who are out there collecting revenue and doing so on the basis of these pretextual stops. That's the term that they themselves use. It's not enough to just obey the traffic laws anymore because there are so many laws on the books. But if a cop wants to pull you over, he's going to pull you over. That's the bottom line. Uh, you can be ticketed for literally dozens, if not many dozen types, types of different things. So therefore, in order to avoid all that, I think it becomes very important to sort of build up your own internal radar system by learning to look for the types of vehicles that cops tend to use uh, so that if you see them, uh, you know, you can kind of fade back into traffic, avoid proximity, and thereby avoid getting a ticket. But it starts with awareness, and this this is what I found so yep. useful about about your article. My, I don't know if my wife sees it as my superpower, but she has often commented when we're driving along, and I'm like, oh, there's a police officer there, there's a trooper, you know. Mm -hmm. She's like, how do you see these? Yep. 
And I tell her it's because yep. I'm actively looking for them. Now, that doesn't mean I'm actively, yep. you know, being reckless, but I'm trying to be no. very aware of where they are. You're being prudent. You know, I mean, the things are, things are so ridiculous out there now that technically, you know, for example, speeding, what does that mean? Well, it means exceeding by even one mile an hour or whatever the statutory posted speed limit is. And of course, everybody does that, does that because you're practically forced to. The speed limit is set so low that if you, if you obey that law, uh, you're creating a bottleneck and calling attention to yourself for that. And then more likely to get pulled over for that than, than potentially for speeding. But the way to, the way to avoid all of this is to, uh, keep up to date with the types of vehicles that police drive. We're lucky in this country in that they drive a relatively small handful of specific kinds of vehicles, not just any vehicle. So once you learn the kinds of vehicles that they tend to drive, for example, uh, the Ford Explorer uh, SUV is very popular, the Chevy Tahoe, and with regard to cars, it's uh, the, the Dodge Charger, sometimes the Chevy Malibu and Impala. You can eliminate all foreign brand cars. Now, they do not drive Hondas, Toyotas, Subarus, any of those kinds of cars. Uh, you can eliminate a lot of different types of kinds of cars that I get into in the article. And once you do that and, and learn uh, to identify uh, the potential cop, you can greatly reduce your odds of ever having to deal with the cop. Yeah, it's and and that awareness too. I mean, look, there are some places, and and I'm looking at Utah with a bit of a jaded eye, where the police engage in a bit of trickery, and they will sometimes put um, unmarked police vehicles out there, which are not, yeah. uh, you know, a Ford Explorer or a Dodge Charger yeah. or something like that. And I, I've seen a couple of them. Sometimes it's pickup trucks, you know, that are that are or carefully. Mustangs or Camaros. They use those sometimes too. Oh, oh, nice. But I've I've yet to see a police officer in a Prius. Yes, exactly. You're totally safe on any Japanese model. Uh, they, they, as far as I know, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty 100% sure, certain of this. No American police department uses any Japanese vehicles. Uh, and actually, you know, it's illegal for them, unlike in other countries, to use vehicles that, that aren't known to be police-type vehicles. In other words, you know, some guy rolls up behind you uh, driving a Prius and flashes a wig-wag light at you. Uh, you can, you know, you can safely assume it's not a cop, and you have a solid standing to not pull over because people know that, hey, cops don't drive Priuses. This guy could be a serial killer. That's one of the reasons why most departments are required to have specific police-type vehicles. Now, of course, there are unmarked ones, including in my area, there's a Mustang that cruises around, and it was probably seized as one of these drug cars. Uh, but even then, there are signs. You know, if you look carefully, as you know about this, uh, in the, at the grill of the vehicle, up front or in the back, Usually the windows are tinted, but sometimes if you look carefully, you'll see the outline of their wigwag light, you know, the little red and blue lights that flash when they want to get you. Uh, and, and, and funny antennas that you don't see on run-of-the-mill generic cars owned by people like you and I. Now, you also, are, I know, have been a strong proponent of it's worth your time to have a radar detector. Why is that? Well, a radar detector serves a couple of purposes. One, obviously, it alerts you to the presence of, of, of potential radar traffic. But it also alerts you to the presence in the general vicinity of police. Uh, you know, radar is diffuse. It's not like laser that, that focuses on a particular point. When a, when a police radar unit is emanating that radar signal, it sort of radiates outward from the car. And it gives you early advance warning. Hey, there is a cop in this general area. I'm going to fade back into traffic. I'm going to make myself not noticeable. And I'm not going to be the one to get the ticket. And by the way, Speaking of that, you know, try not to be the first car in a line of cars. And if possible, you know, if you're in the market for a car, and this is just my personal advice, I would avoid buying a car with a flashy paint job. 
uh, I would avoid obviously uh, getting, uh, even though this is awful to have to think this way, any kind of a, a, a known offender car, you know, like a Camaro or a Mustang. <laughs> or a Ford. I mean, I love those cars. I get to drive them for my, you know, my, my for evaluation purposes when I do my new car reviews. But it's kind of frustrating. Right? You know, you drive this car, you know, when you're driving a Corvette or a Porsche or anything like that, uh, if you're driving 57 miles an hour in a 55 zone and there's a cop nearby, who do you think he's going to be looking at? Oh, yeah. His eyes are drawn to you. Eric, yep. I so appreciate having you on the show each week. Thanks again for being my guest, and just thanks for keeping an eye on things and, and keeping your readers and, and my audience informed. Absolutely, and thanks for having me on, Brian. I always appreciate it. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors each weekday, including LifesavingFood.com, MonticelloCollege.org, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, and HSLAmmo.com, as well as the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, Utah. So... It didn't take very long. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I expected after yesterday's program, yeah, you're going to get some pushback. Somebody's going to take offense at, uh, you know, the fact that you're, you're questioning the narrative here. And, and sure enough, got this message from a listener who says, hey, you're kind of sounding a lot like Kate Daly regarding Ukraine. She and her investigator Dave have fallen for Russian propaganda, and so have you. Russia is good at spreading propaganda, so it's not a surprise. Many have fallen for it. Talk of discrimination against Russians, chemical weapons, and NATO weapon staging in the country is exactly what Russia wants you to believe about Ukraine, and it is their and is their faux justification for invasion. Be careful what you take as a fact. Now, on the one hand, I really appreciate this good listener giving <clears throat> you know a warning to me and saying, "Hey, be careful out there." On the other hand, this kind of proves the exact point that I was trying to make, which is just because I'm questioning. The narrative does not mean that I have taken up, you know, Putin is not slipping me some rubles. Hey, Brian, say a few nice things about the motherland or, you know, it's I guess the thing is not believing either side is not the same thing as taking the side of whomever you happen to be against. And I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds like I'm scolding. I, I really I appreciate the concern, but I think most people just don't recognize how conditioned we are to snap into that binary mindset of hey, you're either with us or you're against us. Look, I remember this so well following 9-11. I remember the transformation. This was when my own awakening actually took place. That was when I when I recognized for the first time, hey, all those vaunted conservative values that W was going to uphold for us. And, <clears throat> you know, thank goodness he pulled out that victory in 2000 over Al Gore because we finally got a good president, a, a, a president who would, would stick to the Constitution and not, you know, go off crazy like the Clintons did, seeking all these different ways to circumvent limits on government power. Nope, not at all. And for me, the worst part was... So many good conservatives 
We're just right there cheering it on. Well, you know, of course, we have to have exceptions. The Constitution's not a suicide pact. Rar, rar, rar. And, of course, that led into the invasion of Iraq, which, uh, you know, in hindsight, it should be so clear. How many people do you know right now who very clearly and openly will say, oh, yeah, I absolutely supported the invasion of Iraq. I think that uh, what we did there was absolutely the right thing. You might find one or two, but at the time, it's hard to remember, but most people were on the bandwagon. Most people were very, you know, they were giving full-throated approval to the the lead-up to war in Iraq. And, of course, once our troops were deployed, you know, there was the, hey, everybody, our troops are in harm's way, so shut up and fall in line, and we'll sort it all out afterward. Okay, that was my first experience in really having to... Um, take a contrary point of view, not because, hey, this is going to make for good ratings, but because my conscience would not let me do otherwise. And it, uh, if I can be very blunt, it sucked to see how angry people became because I wouldn't go along with the narrative. And, and it wasn't because I had all the answers and I was just so much smarter than everybody else. I could just see that the the reasons being given and the justifications being given for why we're going to have to go after Saddam and these tenuous, you know, connections. Well, he he probably was connected to a 9-11 or we think he may have had uh, weapons of mass destruction and be willing to use them on us in any moment. I mean, for crying out loud, even Colin Powell walked back <clears throat> his testimony before the U.N. Security Council that was used to justify the invasion of Iraq. And so, I'm, look, I'm really hoping this doesn't come off as, I was right and you were wrong. I think time has, has proven that the concerns that I had and others like me had um, were, were pretty well-founded concerns. I've actually had a handful of people. It's been a small handful, but I've had a handful of people who have quietly pulled me aside and said, I remember when you were, uh, you were that lone kooky voice out there saying, don't do this. You were right. It's small consolation because it wasn't about being, you know, hey, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. It's we've got to be so careful not to be misled. And and I know it's it's a difficult thing to stand up when when the crowd is is surging in a particular direction. It is really hard to stand for what you believe, particularly when there's there's war talk going on and everybody's getting their war face on and, you know, all the all the shows of solidarity. And look. I, I don't uh, begrudge anybody who's showing solidarity with Ukraine and showing concern for the people there. But if this is the only conflict that merits your attention, I am going to ask, even if it uh, is a little bit offensive to some, okay, where's, where's your concern for the people who are being drone struck and have been being drone struck for years and years and years in places like Iraq, places like Afghanistan, Yemen, Syria, Libya, you do realize, you know, there's a lot of blood that's been shed around the world at the hands of our government's forces. But for some reason, that doesn't merit the information. And then it's just like, I don't know. I, I use a theme in today's show notes, and it's, it's <laughs> I'm sorry if this offends anybody, but it's a cat staring at a, at a little laser dot on the ground. And the caption is, you are the cat. Media is the laser pointer. And right now, I know there are a lot of folks who don't quite grasp that, you know, they're being manipulated. They're being toyed with. 
And it's not because you're dumb. Most people, I think, are, are coming from a place of, hey, I'm just, you know, my heart is moved by what I see. I want to, I want to exert my influence in some way that's productive and, and helpful. But if you're being artificially steered into that, or if you're, if you're being distracted from other things that likewise are, are very important to the exclusion of noticing those things and only hyper-focusing on that laser dot that's bouncing around wherever the media happens to be shining it. Right now, it's shining directly on Ukraine. Maybe, maybe some correction is in order, or at least taking a step back and saying, okay, what else is going on here? Now, I, I have to reiterate this because I'm, I'm worried that this sounds like, you know, I have all the answers. I don't. And there's always... The possibility I could be dead wrong. But if I think I see something that is not quite right, I'm not going to just shut up and obediently fall in line and, you know, well, I'll just go along because it might upset some people if I were to say something. I can't do that. My conscience will not allow me to do so. And, you know, you have the option. You can always just, you know, switch this off. I'll go find something else to listen to. I'll go find something to listen to that, that makes me feel good. I don't blame you. But I also know there are people out there who are like, look, I'm just trying to get a straight take on what's happening, and I don't know who to trust. And this is where I'm hoping that that, that willingness to, to suffer a little bit for my beliefs is, uh, is where you can start to see um, I'm willing to, to stick my neck out. I'm willing to be misunderstood or misrepresented. I'm willing to be called a Russian stooge. Although if Putin's going to pay me, I'd sure like to see it sooner than later because I think they're in pretty big financial trouble. But uh, nonetheless, trust takes a long time to develop. It can be destroyed very quickly. And I'm not trying to play a victim here when I tell you, yes, it's it's hard when, when people are disagreeing with you. I remember at one point where, where going to work was just like, oh boy, time to make the donuts because basically my show... For, for weeks on end, consisted of, all right, let's open up the phone lines, and it was call after call after call of people. What the hell are you thinking? Why are you like? Why are, Why don't you get on? Get with the program? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a fun time to be sure, and it was interesting in that it actually opened some doors that I probably hadn't counted on being opened. Mainly because uh, I, I literally had people gunning for my job. We've got to get rid of this guy. We got to. We got to find a way to get him out of here. I'd like to think like Obi-Wan. They struck me down. I only became more powerful than you can possibly imagine. No, it, uh, it was the first time, though, that I had the opportunity to stand up for something and, and realize that, yeah, that's, it's not always going to be easy. People aren't always going to be politely agreeing. People aren't always going to be patting you on the back. Now, maybe you don't feel like, you know, you're sticking your neck out because maybe you're not talking to, you know, the kind of audience that I'm talking to. But whether it's at a public level like this program or whether it's at an individual level, the world needs people who are, are seekers of truth and, and who are willing to, to speak the truth when they find it, even if it's something that the crowd may not understand. So hopefully it doesn't feel like I'm forcing this down your throat and yeah, you will understand and believe everything that I tell you. Because what I'm telling you is question Whatever you are hearing, there are some very skillful manipulators, and you and I do not want to be their dupe.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program brought to you by LifesavingFood.com. Wow. Kendall has really put together some great deals for my listeners. You really should click on the link in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Again, lifesavingfood.com. Lots of great grab-and-go buckets from ReadyWise. 45% savings off the retail price and free delivery. So there's some pretty powerful incentive for you to uh, make a move, if you will, on food storage. You know, it's, it's clear that uh, a lot of people subscribe to a kind of dominance-based thinking. And I mean the kind of thinking in which there can only be a winner and a loser. Now, Paul Rosenberg describes the need for breaking that cycle of dominance in our lives, starting with how we teach our kids. He says, humans have a deep problem with dominance. As just a first indication, consider that our status quo systems are dominance hierarchies, with a few important people at the top making decisions and everyone beneath them merely obeying. And we complain about this incessantly. We try to create rules to keep it from abusing us too badly, but most of us never consider changing the structure. That is, we all know the dominance hierarchies of the world are sources of pain and frustration, even of destruction, but we don't look for alternatives. Now, he says, clearly there's something wrong here. It's simply not sensible to suffer without at least trying one alternative after another, actual alternatives, not just new faces in the same old structure, you know, to see if we can find one that hurts less. The dominance hierarchy is the model of primates, of baboons and chimpanzees that we should be following the same model century after century without seriously questioning it, well, that should give us pause. And he says what's more important for this discussion, however, is the way this model impinges upon our children, and particularly the way it's passed along to them. And the primary way that it's done is with our patterns of speech. Now, this is a big subject, so he says, I'm not going to try to cover every aspect of it here, but consider the assumptions behind our ways of speaking. Once almost any sort of argument forms very quickly and without any, any conscious choice to do so, we jump into a fight for dominance. We've all experienced this. A disagreement over resources, even trivial resources like a toy or a remote control or a piece of cake, pass instantly into a fight over who's the right one and who's the wrong one. We hurry to specify degrees of wrongness before considering solutions like perhaps taking turns. That is, we're locked into patterns of winner and loser, right and wrong, of dominance and submission. He says if we spent half the energy required for these arguments on actually solving the underlying problem, observing the issues without emotional reactions, well, we could solve them or resolve them quickly. Most of us, however, and most of the time, go right to the I'm right, you're wrong, and he says that's a problem. And comfortable or not, there's a fundamental fact that we must face about it. This is a primate model, a dominance model. It blows right past that resolution. To who's right, who's wrong, who dominates, who's forced to submit. And his whole point in in, in pointing this out to us is we can do better than primate models of communication, models that simply don't accomplish our goals. So he says, what I'm explaining today is that we can go a long way towards fixing this problem simply by not teaching that model to our kids. Now, Rosenberg says, yes, I know this feels like sailing off the edge of the known world, but 
all sufficiently novel concepts feel that way. And after years of dealing with this one, he says, I can't find any honest way to exclude it. So we may not be able to explain it perfectly, but he says, I can't find any serious challenge to its underlying reality. Now, the complicating factor here is that parents do act as dominance over their children. And they more or less have to, because if we didn't, our kids would end up being seriously hurt. So what we need to accept and work around and explain to our kids repetitively once they're capable of understanding is that our oversight or our enforcing conduct is more or less full when they are infants and then slides downward, petering out by the time they're young adults. This is simply a necessity of human life. And so our dominance over our children is to be benevolent, intelligent, and declining. Making this work in real life is challenging, to say the least, with myriad and uncertain judgment calls to make, and yet we have no real choice. If we don't tell them what they must do when they're young, they may be frequently injured or worse. And if we don't let go at the right times, well, they're going to be injured in other ways. So we do the best we can, adapting and apologizing when we realize we made an incorrect decision. Now, from here, he goes into how to not teach dominance. And Paul Rosenberg writes, Unfortunately, the jump into dominance speech, using terms that can only resolve into winner, winner and loser, rather, comes extinct instinctively to us. So it's not something that's easy to avoid, but he says it can, however, be noticed and corrected, and then, over time, it will be effectively removed. He says children raised in this way will enjoy clearer, more comfortable thinking than other children, and will grow into, a health, <clears throat> into healthier adults. Now, we can't be specific on this since nearly the whole of the world is running against it, but all important changes begin in difficulty and uncertainty. So we correct dominant speech first by noticing it and teaching our children to notice it. And fortunately, this is fairly easy to spot when you're looking at it from the outside. You'll particularly recognize it because it uses absolute terms like never, always, any, have to, everyone, deserve, must, and should. And he says, please notice that all of these are conclusions. So here are, more, here are several more examples of absolute statements, final judgments, each followed by a more accurate and useful alternative. So instead of saying, uh, you never do anything I want, you could say, the last three times I suggested something, you said no. Or instead of saying, you're always procrastinating, you said you'd have it done Tuesday, but it's not done yet. Or instead of saying, you're being a slob, you could say, you haven't put your laundry away for three days. Instead of saying, she's a liar, you could say, she said, she'd, she said he'd have it fixed today, but it's not. See, what you want to communicate is that no statement of this type actually resolves a problem. In fact, it makes things worse. And Paul Rosenberg says, we must help our children understand that inflicting, by inflicting judgments upon others, we spur them to inflict judgments upon us. And by doing this, we forget about finding a solution to our problems. So here are a few phrases to pull out of such situations. Stop. Are you going to beat each other up with your words or to fix the problem? Listen. You're not fixing things. You're just fighting. So once you're done wasting your time, come back to me and I'll help you solve the actual problem. Or, wait a minute and look at what you're doing. 
You're not fixing anything. You're just biting and clawing at each other. Now, if you can let go of that and think about what each of you actually needs, I think we can fix this right away. I like this next one, too. Let me ask you something. Are you making a request or a demand? And finally, how about this? Rather than telling her what you don't want, tell her what you do want. And you, tell him what's preventing you from giving it to him. What do each of you really need? Now, Paul Rosenberg says you'll notice that in each case, the first step is to somehow pause their thinking because this kind of fighting is subrational. That is, it's spawned by instinct and only then uses facts and arguments, but as weapons. Once you stop that, reason can return. And I know we're talking about this in the context of, oh, this is why we're teaching the kids, but, I mean, are, are you like me, seeing that this could apply to us as adults, too? Okay. He says, try not to condemn children for doing this because it's an inherited human weakness and it's not something to feel inferior about. What matters is to step away from the assignment of blame, even blame to yourself, and to return to direct and reasonable thinking. And once your children get firm on these concepts... You can laugh about your silly instincts. By the way, laughing at oneself is often a very healthy thing. Now, he says, as I noted earlier, these are things that the world doesn't do, and that means that we're early. Or said differently, we're among the first to recognize a primitive error the rest of the species is making. Now, this isn't a particularly comfortable position to occupy, but it gives us an absolutely essential role to play. It is precisely by persisting in such efforts that we improve the world, that we improve our species. The first to see, comprehend, and act, these are irreplaceable individuals. They are the first movers in human progress. And if we do see, for the sake of our children, then then the world in general, we must act to get this upgrade started. So dominance thinking, polarized thinking, not only stops us from fixing our problems, it stops us from actually seeing each other. And so we've been perishing for want of appreciation. Paul Rosenberg says, For reasons that will become clearer over time, and for the immediate happiness and effectiveness of our children, we must teach better ways and we must persist in doing so, regardless that the world doesn't see yet. Man, I love his approach. Think you could use that? Well, there's a, there's a link in my show notes to... Paul Rosenberg's freemansperspective.com website. You might even want to subscribe to his newsletter. I sure appreciate his emails each week when they show up in my inbox. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This program exists not to tell you what to think or to persuade you that what everybody else is telling you what to think is wrong but rather to persuade you that uh, this is the time where it is most essential that you and I think clearly and independently about what's going on around us. That whole fog of war thing is a very real thing. And thinking clearly and independently, it's not as easy as it sounds, but uh, I'm here to tell you it is totally worth it. And uh, frankly, there are people who are counting on you 
to uh, not lose your grip on reality. By the way, our show is brought to you by great sponsors, including the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, LifesavingFood.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. We've got a lot to cover in this hour. A um, couple of different things here. Uh, one thing I wanted to start with, since I know this is on a lot of people's minds, but uh, when it comes to the various Ukraine narratives, and man, there are a lot of narratives out there, here's some really good advice. Question all of it. The current uh, Western propaganda for Ukraine is simply epic. This is a great uh, piece from uh, Sundance from the conservativetreehouse.com. And it says, when we shared yesterday that all interested observers should be very wary of the information from media sources around Ukraine, there was a reason for that. Question everything, take nothing at face value. And they give some great, I mean, just crystal clear examples of what this kind of misinformation and, and, uh, and narrative manipulation looks like. It's it's a fascinating thing. You, here's here's the Ukrainian president inspecting the border on April 9th of 2021. Oh look, here are the exact same photos. Ukrainian president fighting on the front lines from February 24th of 2022. They're the same exact photos, just different headlines, repurposed, you know, photos to lead us to a different conclusion. And I you know, you can see this for yourself. I provide a link so you can, you can check this out for yourself. The article says, if you have never experienced the propaganda push surrounding war, the totality of the inbound BS can be destabilizing, overwhelming, and unnerving. And it's one of the reasons why the conservative treehouse doesn't share immediate information. And it's because everybody has an agenda. Everything we are seeing in U.S. media surrounding U.S. interest in Ukraine is a massive propaganda operation with the headquarters in the U.S. State Department and U.S. intelligence community. The sense of sympathy you are feeling is part of an intentionally manipulative operation from within this D.C. matrix. The images, pictures, videos, speeches, sound bites, and, and cinematography broadcast by U.S. corporate media are all purposefully intended to create a very specific outlook within the American people toward the issues in Ukraine. The leftist United Nations, the leftist U.S. State Department will work together on this, just like they've done in prior examples like Ukraine 1.0, Libya, Egypt, etc. It's very easy to become a victim of psychological warfare intended to manipulate our opinions. And again, he gives examples of, of uh, how this gets spread around. Now, the neocon war promoting agents working on behalf of the Uniparty and their collective globalist interests are all united in their effort. But unfortunately, almost everything being transmitted from corporate news into our psyche is part of a battle for your mind. And the goal is to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is why people who are familiar with these kind of tactics often tap out when the drum beats get the loudest. The White House which means the total globalist effort, tipped their hand earlier this week when they defined strategic power and their outlook toward winning the battle for the mind. Everything is about writing a script, creating a narrative, building a better story where the globalists are the heroes. In essence, the strategic power battle is for your mind. This is a quote from Deputy National Security Advisor Dalip Singh. 
In this century, strategic power is increasingly measured and exercised by economic strength, by technological sophistication, and your story. Who you are, what your values are, can you attract ideas and talent and goodwill, and on each of those measures, this will be a failure for Russia. Isn't that something? Ultimately, the goal of our sanctions is to make this a strategic failure for Russia, and let's define a little bit of what that means. Strategic success in the 21st century is not about a physical land grab of territory. That's what Putin has done. And then this is what, that's where the rest of the quote comes in. In this century, we measure strategic power by economic strength, technological sophistication, and your story. That's a national security advisor speaking to the nation, <laughs> telling you, it's about controlling that narrative. And conservative treehouse says everything in modern warfare is storytelling. So question all of it. The stories of the 13 guards on an island telling the Russian naval ship to F off. Yeah, it was a lie. It turns out they surrendered. The ghost of Kiev pilot, the lady with the sunflower seeds, etc. Now all recognized as lies and propaganda. And don't expect it to stop because it won't. Thus, the nature of warfare for your mind. And by the way, speaking of warfare for your mind, have you noticed how the totalitarian left is backing towards the COVID exits? This is also from the same contributor to a conservative treehouse.com. Reminding us, that in case you missed it, March 1st has been declared the unofficial end date for COVID-19 as a political weapon. Domestically, the political leftists who weaponized silence for their totalitarian science, rather for their totalitarian control, have decided it's time to head for the exits. So we're now supposed to ignore the last two years of brutal impact they inflicted on society. And you can always spot the shift by looking at how Hollywood and pop culture are triggered by the messaging from the political crew. Once given the nod, there's a silent move toward the exits while everyone is distracted. Of course, the exit strategy is always frustrating for those who have watched this play out. So I don't know if you've seen it. You can, you can check the link that I, I supply in the show notes. But there's a Saturday Night Live segment from this last weekend presented as humor. But when you recognize the inherent message, there's nothing funny about it. And it's people starting, it's the Saturday Night Live characters starting to talk about, well, maybe masks really didn't work, and maybe, you know, the vaccine isn't that great. And they're laughing about, oh, don't say that, don't say that. But I'm going to remind you, and hopefully not sound too bitter in, in saying this, it was just a short time ago that people were being kicked out of their jobs. People were being harassed, thrown off planes, and, and well, not thrown off the plane like in mid-flight, but kicked off of flights and, and prevented from flying and otherwise punished for not going along with the dominant narrative. And now suddenly, whoa, it's over. By the way, it's a pretty safe bet that uh, Joe Biden in his State of the Union address will be uh, claiming victory over COVID and, you know, and uh, it, we're going to move on. One crisis has now been replaced by a new crisis. But it wasn't the science that changed. It was because people were rejecting the narrative and, oh, well, now it's finally safe to move for the exits. And, and we're being gaslighted and told, well, we were always against lockdowns. We were always against mandates. Do not let these lying liars get away with this. Conservativetreehouse.com says the left weaponized COVID for their political needs. However, within this COVID fiasco, there were real victims. 
Many people lost incomes, small businesses were closed, families torn apart as people were caught up in the frenzy. But now all that's being positioned as a joke. If you watch that Saturday Night Live segment, you'll see what they're talking about. As the professionally political left try to find a way to tell their tribe it's over. We're supposed to forget the pain they inflicted as loved ones were choking in anguish, unable to visit family in hospital. Funerals that were not permitted, the catastrophic damage to our children's lives, the massive ridicule deployed with maximum snark in their condescending attacks against anyone who did not kneel at the altar of COVID virtue signaling. All of it. All of it. Now boiled down to a few jokes as they walk backwards trying to avoid the political fallout. They are declaring victory and moving on. And the point here is these are sick people. They promise you the invisible thing that was going to kill you has now left the room. Man, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm preaching, hey, we should all hold a grudge. But I think we should not be very quick to forget the people who pushed this and clung to it and who insisted, you know, that we have to all go along, we're all in this together. Because so many of them were just dead wrong. And especially those who were in positions of authority and those who enforced what those in positions of authority were foisting upon us. I still believe they need to answer for what they did, as in, in court. I think they need to be held legally responsible and maybe even civilly liable for the damage that they've created. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Time will tell. But in the meantime, let's not be so distracted that we completely forget what was done to us for the last two years. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. If you are one of the people lucky enough to be moving to the Intermountain West, as uh, thousands upon thousands of people have been doing for the last, oh, I don't know, year, year and a half. Well, first of all, congratulations, especially if you've been fleeing one of the uh, more oppressive areas where, you know, it's top-down control and everybody has to, you know, kneel and do as they're told. I I get it. It's uh, it's good to be able to breathe freely. Now, there is the matter of uh, a place to rest your weary head. And if you are looking for a home, particularly in the state of Utah, you're also going to be needing uh, financing. So this is where you need to get in touch with the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Heather brings decades of experience in the lending industry to the job. She knows the ins and outs of what the lenders and the borrowers need. And she is the person you want on your side when time is of the essence, which in a very competitive real estate market means, uh, you know, you've got to move quickly. From VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, Count on the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage to get you the loan you need without delay. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. And to get in touch with her, a couple things you can do. Call 435-703-4522. Stop by 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Or click the email link that I provide in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. So State of the Union address, I guess, is... uh, Tonight. And uh, no, I probably won't be watching it. I'm just, <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything that, uh, that uh, even entertainment value is, is iffy at best. 
So I'm not really that interested in it. However, I do have to give props to the Babylon Bee. Their, their headline yesterday, State of the Union will just be 90-minute broadcast of dumpster engulfed in flames. Yeah, I thought it was funny, probably because there's, there's more truth than not. Actually, I have a commentary here from James R. Harrigan from the American Institute for Economic Research. And he has some really solid advice here regarding the State of the Union address. He says, you know, as the president's giving his State of the Union address today, pay close attention to what he's not talking about. I've seen the memo from, I I don't know what they are, some kind of a polling firm or public relations firm, but I've seen the memo which says, okay, here's what you need to do. Declare victory over COVID. Yes, we have defeated COVID and, you know, claim victory. This is all about what we did. Our mandates and everything we told you to do worked, so now we can move on. That's likely what you're going to hear. And it's as narcissistic and just as jaded as you think it sounds. It's, it's pathetic. But here's, here's what James R. Harrigan has to say. He says, President Biden's first State of the Union address is scheduled for Tuesday, and it's hard to believe anyone is looking forward to it. This annual national chore has been more trouble than it's worth for some time. And while the Constitution specifies the president shall, from time to time, give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient, it doesn't specify much else. In fact, he says, frankly, a one-page letter would serve the purpose. But no, we will be treated instead to a hodgepodge of lies, half-truths, and nonsense. James Harrigan says it would be far better if we insisted on following Thomas Jefferson's lead. While his predecessors, Washington and Adams, delivered their State of the Union addresses in person every year, Jefferson just sent letters to Congress. And this remained the custom until Woodrow Wilson revived in-person delivery in 1913. He says, by the way, that's just more evidence that Wilson was wrong about nearly everything. James R. Harrigan says, we didn't have to put up with this foolishness for more than 100 years. What a world. Now, of course, the 24-hour news cycle virtually guarantees that the State of the Union address will never be submitted in writing again. Instead, we'll see half the room standing up and clapping as the other half sits and scowls. It's also predictable. Also predictable, the length. Set aside an hour to an hour and a half. So, what will we hear Well, you can bet there will be a lot of tough talk directed towards Russia and Vladimir Putin. You can also bet that President Biden will do his level best to resuscitate portions of his Build Back Better debacle. And while Democrats will all stand and clap when he does, take a second to notice the looks on their faces when they do. Every one of them knows this legislation is dead where it sits. And that President Biden will need to get uh, well above his current 40% approval rating before he can do much of anything. Now, this is the key part, though. What will we not hear? We will not hear one word about the massive but becoming gargantuan federal debt. Not one Democrat brought it up in any of the debates leading to candidate Biden's nomination, and we're not in any danger of hearing it now. James R. Harrigan says, in fairness, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Republican willing to use the word debt in public either. But he says, we'll get to that can of worms some other time. I mean, that's, that's solid advice. And, and I, I know it sounds cynical to some, but, uh, but if you really want to know what's going on, you've got to be in the habit of asking, hey, what am I not supposed to be seeing? 
In other words, all this crazy whiz-bang stuff that's happening right in front of my eyes. What is it that I'm not supposed to be noticing? Now, some people can take this too far, right? Some people are like, they're looking for the nearest rabbit hole to jump down and, and, and go follow. They're, I mean, they're turning over every rock. They're looking behind every bush. I know there's got to be a conspiracy here somewhere. I think the most uh, interesting and, frankly, disturbing thing of the last few days has been how skillfully people have been manipulated into taking a hard stance, you know, either against Russia or in favor of Ukraine without questioning any of the other uh, aspects of what's going on. In fact, uh, Caitlin Johnstone, I'm going to be sharing an article of hers coming up in the next segment, but something she pointed out yesterday is that uh, there is one question that is possibly more important than any other question that could be asked, and it's this, and that is, is what the U.S. and its allies trying to accomplish are trying to accomplish in Ukraine worth continually risking nuclear Armageddon for? Now, this is not just, hey, some hippie, you know, hey, get rid of the nukes, man. She's, I think she's raising a very valid point here. And when you have reporters for, you know, mainstream news sources saying, well, there's a 40-mile-long convoy of Russian armor that's moving toward Kiev, why can't NATO just swoop in there and bomb it? Gee, I don't know. Why can't they? I mean, surely a country with a massive nuclear arsenal that's being backed into a corner in every possible way would simply see the error of their ways and capitulate and say, you know what, we're sorry. In fact, why don't I step down from power and... I'll go back to my father's shoe shop and, you know, become a cobbler and um, just leave these poor people alone. Uh, wrong. You know, this, this, is the, this is the thing. There's a reason why what's happening in Ukraine is, is the absolute focus of all the news media in the world right now. But it's not because, well, this is legitimately the biggest story on earth. It's because someone at some level, is trying to make things happen, trying to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Are you going to buy into it? Are you going to just go along and say, well, they told us it was a threat? See, I have a really bad memory of this happening a few times before. And it turns out that, uh, you know, we were lied to. Or things were stated as fact that were not factual. Frankly, uh, our government, our state department, <laughs> the, the people who are in power at various levels of bureaucracy, they don't have a very good track record on telling us the truth. So much of what we're learning now about the COVID narrative, it turns out, was false. Or again, was stated as fact without actually being factual. We're supposed to forget all this stuff. And yeah, maybe it's true. Maybe, but Brian, you just have trust issues. That's, that's your problem and not, uh, not the world's problem. Well, the problem is my trust issues uh, have me wondering why would the people who are in power want to risk pushing a nuclear-armed nation into a corner and daring them to do something about it? Seems pretty foolish and short-sighted, but hey, I'm just the guy asking questions, so it's not like I actually know anything, right? This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Well, don't look now, but the COVID fact checkers are not in danger of being unemployed. No, they are turning their attention to trying to silence anyone questioning the Russia-Ukraine narrative. And again, this is not to, I'm not trying to hash out, you know, who's right, who's wrong in terms of Russia and Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I don't believe either side on this one because I don't know who I can believe. But I believe Caitlin Johnstone when she says that Russian propaganda is simply the latest excuse to expand censorship. She says, uh, she starts with a quote from U.S. Senator Mark Warner, something he tweeted out on Friday where he said, I'm concerned about Russian disinformation spreading online, so today I wrote to the CEOs of major major tech companies to ask them to restrict the spread of Russian propaganda. And since then, YouTube has announced that it has suppressed videos by Russian state media channels so that they'll be seen by fewer people in accordance with its openly acknowledged policy of algorithmically censoring unauthorized content, as well as demonetizing all such videos on the platform. Google and Facebook Instagram parent company Meta both banned Russian state media from running ads and monetizing on their platforms in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Twitter announced a pause on ads in both Russia and Ukraine. Warner tweeted on Saturday, Glad to see action from tech companies to rein in Russian propaganda and disinformation after my letter to their CEOs yesterday. These are important first steps, but I'll keep pushing for more. What a good little politician. Now, Caitlin Johnstone says for years, U.S. lawmakers have been using threats of profit-destroying consequences to pressure Silicon Valley companies into limiting online speech in a way that aligns with the interests of Washington, effectively creating a system of government censorship by proxy. Now, it would appear that we're seeing a new expansion of this phenomenon today. And she says, the imperial media are pushing for more Articles and news segments warning of the sinister threat posed by Russian propaganda to misinform and divide Western populations using the Internet are being churned out at a rate that's only likely to increase as this latest narrative management campaign gets into full gear. For example, the Associated Press has a new article out titled War Via TikTok, Russia's New Tool for Propaganda Machine. Armies of trolls and bots stir up anti-Ukrainian sentiment. State-controlled media outlets look to divide Western audiences. Clever TikTok videos serve up Russian nationalism with a side of humor, the AP warns. AP also says analysts at several different research organizations contacted by the Associated Press said they are seeing a sharp increase in online activity by groups affiliated with the Russian state. That's in keeping with the Russia's, with Russia's strategy of using social media and state-run outlets to galvanize domestic support while seeking to destabilize the Western alliance. Now, the different research organizations AP ends up citing include Syabra, an Israeli tech company that works to detect misinformation, as well as the state-funded NATO narrative management firm, the Atlantic Council. She says, as tends to happen whenever a consensus begins to form that a certain category of speech must be purged from the Internet, Imperial spinmeisters are already working to expand the definition of Russian propaganda, which must be purged from the Internet to include independent anti-imperialist commentators like herself. And I'll give you an example of some of the things that she's she's posted here. I mean, look, 
I don't agree with Caitlin Johnstone on everything, but I can set aside that disagreement to the extent that I think this is an individual who is hardcore searching for and publishing truth as best as she understands, which is far more than I could say for the lapdog media and, and the enablers of those who are currently in power. So, for instance, here's a tweet from Caitlin Johnstone that says, uh, Dopey Louise Mensch wannabe National Secretary LARPer uh, calling for me to be labeled state-affiliated media and deplatformed across all Western social media because Russia Today is one of many outlets who occasionally republish my blogs for free. And this is from Robert, she's quoting a tweet from Robert Potter saying a couple of very simple actions need to be taken. Remove fake accounts posting Russian disinfo and Ukrainian movements. Two, tag Russia Today columnist as state-affiliated media as an interim measure. Three, consider deplatforming Russia Today and columnists across Western social media. And it's crazy. He does. He accuses, uh, Robert Potter accuses Caitlin Johnstone of uh, pushing large amounts of Russian propaganda across Twitter. She is actually an op-ed columnist for Russia Today. That's not true. She's not. She's an independent journalist. How do you battle that kind of misinformation? Well, Caitlin Johnstone says, Imperial Narrative Manager Robert Potter has a thread on Twitter calling for her and other anti-imperialist content creators to be labeled state-affiliated media on Twitter and ideally deplatformed across all Western social media. In her case, solely because... Russia Today is one of the many outlets who occasionally choose to republish her blog posts for free. She's not even getting paid for it. But she says, I am not, as Potter claims, an op-ed columnist for Russia Today. I don't work for RT. I don't write for RT. I don't submit articles to RT. And I've never been paid by RT or the Russian government. RT is just one of the outlets who sometimes avail themselves of my longstanding invitation for anyone who wants to republish my work free of charge. That RT editors would find my daily rants against Western imperialism agreeable is not scandalous or conspiratorial, but normal and self-evident. Yet for agents of imperial narrative control like Potter, who ironically works directly for the U.S. State Department, but thinks my posts should be labeled state-affiliated media by Twitter, even this is enough to justify complete silencing. And she says, I will not be in the slightest bit surprised to see a great deal more of these efforts as the new Cold War continues to escalate. The Center for Countering Digital Hate, an empire-loyal NGO ostensibly focused primarily on fighting racism and prejudice, has published a report accusing Facebook of failing to label Russian propaganda as such 91% of the times it occurs. The CCDH decried Mark Zuckerberg's failure to stop Facebook from being weaponized by the Russian state. Now, this sudden narrative management thrust has also seen RT taken off the air in nations like Australia, Germany, and Poland, with pressures mounting in France and the UK to follow suit. This, despite the fact that all Western powers would have to do to eliminate RT completely, is simply start allowing leftist and anti-imperialist voices to be heard on mainstream media platforms. It would immediately suck up RT's entire foreign audience as people who'd previously needed to look outside the mainstream for sane perspectives and and, and allow them to gravitate toward media made with much better funding and a higher level of talent. But of course, we all know that's never going to happen. 
The imperial media aren't going to subvert Russia today by platforming voices who dispute the empire's narratives, no matter how badly they hate it. Because the exact reason they hate RT is because it disputes the empire's narratives. They're not worried about Russian propaganda operations. They're worried about someone else running interference on their own propaganda operations. Now, RT's audience makes up about 0.04% of TV viewing in the UK. I mean, that's minuscule. She says this isn't about RT. It's about the agenda to continually expand and normalize the censorship of unauthorized speech. That's what it was about when they were pretending it was about the need to fight COVID misinformation. Before that, when they were pretending it was about the need to fight U.S. domestic extremism. Before that, and when they were pretending it was about the need to defend election security. Before that, and when they were pretending that it was about the need to fight Russian propaganda the first time. Before that one circled back around again. I mean, are you starting to see the pattern? Whoever controls the narrative controls the world. Humans are storytelling creatures, so whoever can control the stories that humans are telling themselves about what's going on in the world has a great deal of control over the humans. Our mental chatter tends to dominate such a large percentage of our existence that if it can be controlled, the controller can exert a tremendous amount of influence over the way we think, act, and vote. Now, the powerful understand this, while the general public mostly does not. That's all we've been seeing in these attempts to regulate ideas and information as human communication becomes more and more rapid and networked. And Caitlin Johnstone says an entire oligarchic empire is built on the ability to prevent us from realizing at mass scale that the empire does not serve us and in fact inflicts great evil upon our world. So the question of whether our species can awaken to its highest potential or not boils down to whether our dominators will succeed in locking down our minds or if we will find some way to break free. Now again, Caitlin Johnstone and I probably would not line up on a whole lot of issues. But because she is at least advocating for the free flow of information and for people making up their own minds, I'd stand shoulder to shoulder with her. She's taking the right approach. Those other differences, we can sort those out down the road. But you've got to claim ownership of your mind, and you've got to claim it sooner than later. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a shout out here to Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah. I, you know, my mom used to make clothes for us as kids. And I'll admit, I was not very grateful. Frankly, I thought uh, I thought she dressed as funny. But uh, then again, you know, we did buy, you know, store-bought stuff like Tough Skins jeans. And so, you know, that, the, the 70s were a pretty funny time to be dressed anyways, whether you're wearing homemade clothes or not. As I have grown older, though, my appreciation for those who have the skills to sew, to embroider, to quilt, have only grown. Frankly, because I've started to recognize there are a lot of family heirlooms that uh, that can come from such skills. And I'm particularly talking about quilting. 
My mom has been a quilter for many, many years, and, you know, she's getting up there in, in age. And um, as I look around, though, I recognize she has incredible heirloom quilts that will continue to be handed down through our family for generations to come. And if you understand, you know, the importance of that, uh, having that skill of working with fabric and, and creating things or mending things for yourself, you'll appreciate Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah. Click on the link I provide in my show notes. If you live in southern Utah, you are in luck because they are a wonderful company that will take care of you start to finish. They'll sell you the machine. They'll train you how to use it. They'll fix it if it ever needs maintenance or repair. You couldn't ask for more. All right, moving to our final segment for today's show. You know, politicians are like magicians in that they understand the importance of distraction in order to create a particular illusion for their audiences. Now, James Howard Kunstler says, don't look now, but uh, all the foreign policy posturing is to keep us from seeing how badly our own operating system is failing us. He says, Ukraine is a manageable localized problem in a distant part of the world, and Russia is going to manage it. The American crisis of confidence in its own operating system, well, that's something else. Did Joe Biden's handlers actually want to start World War III? They are the same posse who contrived the Russian collusion hysteria of 2016 to 2019, then launched COVID-19 and the even more deadly mass vaccination response to it, and have now successfully goaded Russia into cleaning up the international hub of grift and mischief known as Ukraine. Now, one thing established for sure is fact, the Joe Biden family received plenty of cash off that grift wagon, and those handlers have neatly ring-fenced it from official scrutiny. So where does that leave the so-called president of the U.S. in the current crisis? The scant news coming out of Ukraine is so infected with propaganda that it's almost impossible to know exactly what is going on there in the early days of the Russian invasion. Some interested parties say that Russia's getting its ass kicked by a Ukrainian resistance, more temperate reports suggest that Russian forces are proceeding methodically to capture and neutralize Ukraine's meager military assets. Apparently, Ukraine and Russia are holding a diplomatic parley at the Belarus border. Now, you might style that as peace talks, but who knows? There are no real functioning international news agencies anymore. James Howard Kunstler says the current CIA-approved narrative wants you to believe that Vlad Putin seeks to reassemble the old Soviet Union and will move next to capture the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. But he says, I doubt this since all those countries have their own cultures, rather emphatically hostile to Russia and required onerous operating subsidies from Moscow back in the Soviet day. Ukraine will surely be enough of a burden for Russia going forward. Now, this, an alternative narrative to the CIA's scare story <clears throat> would follow that Occam's razor, the Occam's razor rule that the simplest explanation is probably the truth, namely that there was no other way to stop Ukraine's shelling and mortar attacks against the ethnic Russian population in the Donbass, which, by the way, was carried out with U.S. gifted armaments. And there was no other way to disabuse the USA from the idea that Ukraine should join NATO and thereby become a missile-launching base on Russia's border. James Howard Kunstler says Western Civ's response so far is to cut off its nose to spite its face. A sidebar to the CIA-approved narrative is that the West should shut down Russia's export economy in response to their action in Ukraine. 
And of course, EU members know that they can't take a pass on Russian oil and natural gas unless they want to eat cold bratwurst and linguine in the dark. But he says this reality hasn't stopped the USA from militating for that. Likewise, shutting Russia out of the swift money transfer system will only achieve chaos in global trade and international banking. But chaos is what you get with Joe Biden's party of chaos running things. These are the folks who worked tirelessly to drive America insane since 2016. And now they're capping their hat trick of mind effery with the specter of World War III. Notice how neatly they're engineered mass formation psychosis, segged from the Trump Russia to COVID-19 and now the threat of going nuclear over Ukraine. He says, my theory of the case would be as follows. America's deep state provoked Russia in Ukraine to cover up its own massive crimes against American citizens, which now verge on being fully exposed. By the way, just as an aside, I do believe this is a very plausible explanation for what's going on. I think that uh, this this militarized, you know, debacle that's going on right now is to cover up even bigger crimes that have been foisted on us over the last couple of years. James Howard Kunstler says, the timing on Ukraine couldn't have been more seemingly fortuitous. America, indeed the whole world, has awakened to the apparent reality that mass vaccination is killing off a lot of people before their time. The news is out, coming not from the public health bureaucracy, but from such unexpected sources as actuaries in the insurance industry who collate quarterly death rates and morticians observing unusual morbid oddities in the bodies they prepare for burial. This comes at the very same time as reports that the CDC deliberately falsified COVID-19 death and injury statistics, both for the disease itself and for the mRNA vaccines. The FDA is also implicated in approving falsified vaccine trial data. One result of all that is the crash of Moderna and Pfizer stocks as the geniuses on Wall Street suss out the mountain range of litigation that looms in the distance. But they must know, and hundreds of appointed and elected officials must know, that the blowback from COVID-19 doesn't stop with mere civil lawsuits but extends to criminal cases of supreme consequence. Deliberate mass murder extending to the highest levels of officialdom in in many countries. To this day, the CDC and state health departments are pushing vaccines, despite mounting evidence that the shots cause organ damage and mess up immune systems at a rate and to a degree astronomically above any previous vaccines. They must know that the official standard of care using remdesivir and intubation was overwhelmingly likely to kill hospital inpatients. They must know that early treatment protocols using cheap off-label drugs were highly effective and that banning early treatment or to, to maintain emergency use authorization for the killer vaccines amounted to mass homicide. James Howard Kunstler says, it will get harder and harder to ignore widespread, untimely death going forward as the vaccines work their vicious hoodoo on the boosted population. Even the most obdurately spellbound vaccine cheerleaders will have to endure such surges of cognitive dissonance that heads are sure to explode. So the Ukraine invasion was the best means at hand to cover up all that. 
And the longer the U.S. government can feed that monster and keep it going, the more they can shift the focus off the monumental frauds and homicides they carried out and will be criminally liable for. Secondarily to all that, of course, is the emerging picture of pervasive corruption and crime among the three-letter agencies that special counsel John Durham is getting ready to feed to the dumpster fire of institutional failure that U.S. politics has become. Ukraine is a manageable, localized problem in a distant part of the world, and Russia is going to manage it. But the American crisis of confidence in its own operating system is something else. By the way, I don't expect you to agree with James Howard Kunstler. Now, I do happen to agree with him, and and I know it sounds horrific and and terrible to say, Brian, are you suggesting that uh, somehow, you know, they're trying to get a war started in Ukraine in order to cover up, you know, the the misdeeds of people here at home? Yeah, that, uh, I think that pretty much covers it. And again, if you look at, uh, at the steps that have been taken over the last few years to put Russia into a situation where, you know, they, they really had to draw a red line and, and then act on it. It doesn't make what they're doing right. It doesn't make it righteous. But we can't pretend that this just happened in a vacuum and somehow suddenly for no reason at all. Putin just up and went and invaded Ukraine. But the timing is what is most suspect. And the fact that this is where the vast majority, like 99.9% of the world media's attention is being focused, and most of the public's attention is being focused, kind of makes you wonder, would they start World War III? Would the people in power start World War III to cover up their own crimes committed in the name of COVID? This is The Brian Hyde Show.